We are going to Camelin, Egwene spoke up firmly, and then to Tarvalin. Closing his mouth, Perrin met her angry look with one of his own. He knew that she followed his lead when she wanted to, and not when she did not, but she could at least let him answer for himself. What about you, Perrin? he said, and answered himself. Me? Well, let me think. Yes, yes, I think I'll go on. He turned a mild smile on her. Well, Egwene, that makes both of us. I guess I'm going with you at that. Good to talk these things out before making a decision, isn't it? She blushed, but the set of her jaw never lessened. Hello, I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi! And this is Not the Beginning, a podcast where a longtime Wheel of Time fan and someone who's never read the series before read through each of the 14 books in this very long series. A warning, this podcast may not be suitable for younger audiences and will contain spoilers. If you've not read Robert Jordan's The Eye of the World, please proceed with caution. On this episode of Not the Beginning, we will be diving in and discussing chapters 22 through 27 of The Eye of the World. I have not read past chapter 27, and Will is going to do his best not to bring in anything from the rest of The Eye of the World or the other 13 books during our discussion. So as long as you've read through chapter 27, you should be good. If you haven't, I recommend pausing here and going to read them. All right, last week we left off with three main groups. Matt, Rand, and Tom, Perrin and Egwene, and Nynaeve, Maureen, and Lan. We kind of ignore Nynaeve's group for this section. We don't get a, a chapter from her point of view. But what we do get is we pick up with Perrin. Perrin washes up on shore after running away from Trollocs and almost immediately runs into Egwene. They decide they're going to go to Camelon, meet up with the others. While they're doing so, they run into a strange man named Elias Machera, who has some wolf friends. They start traveling with Elias and the wolves. Elias and the wolves, apparently, claim that Perrin can talk to them like Elias himself can. Eventually, while traveling, they come across a band of the Tuatha'an, or the Tinkers. This is a pacifist group, and they take them in for a little bit, have them travel with them. While traveling with the Tinkers, they learn a little bit about their philosophy, the Way of the Leaf, which is a complete pacifist philosophy. Perrin and Egwene also meet Aram, uh, the grandson of the Tinker Beater. Aram is pretty interested in Egwene, tries to convince her to leave Perrin and Elias and travel with the Tinkers. Have a good time. Before they leave the Tinker Band, though, Perrin has a dream of Baalzaman, who incinerates a wolf and tells Perrin the wolves aren't going to protect. Perrin wakes up, Elias is right in front of his face, and tells them that they need to go. Meanwhile, Rand, Matt, and Tom are having an adventure on the Spray, a ship. One of the first things that happens to Rand is he also has a dream of Balsamon, where he gets his thumb pricked on a thorn and bleeds in real life. Uh, while on the Spray as well, Tom starts to teach Rand and Matt a little bit more about being a Gleeman, because that's their disguise. Rand and Matt are acting as Tom's apprentices. While this is happening, Matt is pretty grumpy, hiding some stuff, talking about treasure, and Rand gets weirdly careless again, climbing up on the mast of the ship and just kind of hanging there, freaking everybody out. Eventually, the spray reaches Whitebridge, where Rand, Matt, and Tom go to an inn, but not before the captain of the spray, Captain Domon, tries to convince him to stay on board, gives them a bag of coins, and tells them that there's more if they stay on the spray on its way to Ilion. Tom wants to stay. Rand and Matt decide that, no, we need to get off and go find Moraine. When they get off, they go to an inn, have a little bit of food, and they realize that a Fade has been asking for them. The innkeeper doesn't say it by name, but it's pretty clear that it's a, it's a murder-all. When they learn that there's a Fade after them, they decide they're not going to stay in Whitebridge. They're just going to sneak out and go to Camelot. However, while doing that, the murder-all confronts them kind of in the middle of the town. Rand and Matt start running while Tom charges at the Fade, trying to buy them a little bit of time. He tells them that they should make a run for it and go to the Queen's Blessing in Camelon. 
that's that's where we leave off. Kind of in kind of two separate plot lines. The last thing that actually happens isn't Tom charging the Merdral. It's Perrin and Egwene and Elias leaving the Tinkers. But yeah, a whole bunch of character development stuff and a little bit of action. Yeah, there was a lot of character development in this section. A lot of the chapters, not a lot actually happened in them. Yeah, like a lot of like the time on the spray itself, like not a whole bunch of stuff happens, but we learn a lot about Rand and Matt and Tom and their interactions with each other. Yeah, I tend to gloss a little bit over Rand's sections now because he just talks so much. Rand has got an internal monologue that goes. Yeah, like just the contrast of like Perrin's dreams with Balsamon because he has several dreams. It, there's not just the wolf one. He says he has several dreams before when, they get with the Tinkers. But he doesn't describe them. He's just like, I had a dream about Balsamon and then calls it a day. But none of them before that were of Balsamon. They were just of him like doing some smithy stuff. No, there was before he before he got with the Tinkers, he says he has dreams of Balsamon and Egwene has some nightmares of Shadar Logoth before they meet Elias. Once yeah. they meet Elias, his nightmares stop. But uh, he didn't—he didn't describe every single one of his Balsamon dreams like Rand no. does. Was this in? Was the those chap? Were those chapters before or after Rand having? Before. They were before. Okay. Yeah, but just, so just like the contrast, like every single dream Rand has, you hear about it and like in detail. Whereas parents is just like had a dream about Balsamon. It was creepy. I didn't. I don't remember his dreams aside from the last one that he has that he describes. I don't remember any of those being about Balsamon. Because I mean, at some point he goes on about his dreams not involving Balsamon. Yeah, but um, just like... he just he describes that that is describing the contrast. Okay. Yeah. Between. The fact that now he makes a big point about now that he's been with Elias and the Tinkers, he's not having dreams of Balsamon anymore. Until the one that Until the kind one of sparks it, them it, it almost feels like it prompts them to leave. But there's the wolves think something else is going on there because yeah. the wolves can talk. Sort but of. My point is, I like Perrin's narration a lot better than Rand's. Uh, yeah, I can understand. He gets that. straighter to the point. Like there's less confusion going on. I thought it was a lot. E- it was a lot easier for me to read through the Perrin sections than it was the Rand. Perrin is a sections. lot more in the moment than Rand is. Rand is Rand is trying to think everything through all at once. I feel like Perrin thinks about things a little bit more, but... He does, but he's thinking about now. Yeah. Rand is thinking about past, present, and future. I just don't like it. not going to convince me to like Rand's narration. I'm over it. (laughs) I like Perrin's better. There's just a lot more that happens in the Perrin and Egwene sections, like his narration. Yeah. I like that storyline that's going on a lot more. I think it is partially that Rand... And Matt's storyline is just frustrating me at the moment. That's, I mean, he is with Matt, and Matt is a very frustrating individual at this point in the eye of the, oh in the, eye of the world and the whole series as a whole. Like, um, I like Rand, and or I like Matt. Yeah. But, like, dude. <sighs> Boy. But we'll get to him later. First, we can go through Perrin and Egwene stuff, because there's a lot more. That's where you get a lot of the, like, new character stuff. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is... We had like a little blurb of Perrin's point of view before, and this is like the first big chunk of it. 
Yeah, and I really got, like, you really get to know Perrin in this section, and I like Perrin. Yeah. He's a good character. He's simpler, and he thinks about things, and he seems to care more about what's going on. There's less in his narration that's very much like, me, me, me. He's, like, thinking about everything else outside of him. So it it also just makes his sections more interesting to read, because you're not just, like this is the Rand show. (laughs) Like, he's, like, telling you actually what's happening. Yeah, something that I find really interesting about Perrin's point of view, and this is a running thing throughout the entirety of the series, is several times, especially when they get to the Tinkers, Perrin is like, I don't know how to handle women like Rand does. I loved it so much. That is one of, like, like... I think that's partially why I just really liked this section, too. I have a new ship. You do have a new ship. I have a new ship, and I'm very excited about it. Because this one wasn't, this isn't, like, a handed-to-me ship. It's not, like, at the beginning, you're, like, basically told to ship Rand and Egwene. Yeah. You're like, oh, Rand, you have a crush on Egwene, and Egwene has a crush on you. Why did you guys get it together? (laughs) They're basically engaged already. Yeah. In this section, we get a lot of just one-on-one Perrin and Egwene, and it is so clear that Perrin has a crush on Egwene and just doesn't know he has a crush on Egwene. Okay, so you think he doesn't know it. Okay. uh... Or, like, he refuses to call it that. Probably because he knows that his best friend has a crush on Egwene, so he's just not going to call it that. But, like, there's just several moments. My first favorite moment that made me go, oh, okay, that's what's happening here. So Perrin finds Egwene. Bella got Egwene across the river. One, go Bella. There's a running joke about <laughs> Bella in the Wheel of Time that Bella is the creator. Bella, Bella is literally God. Bella is great. Bella gets Egwene across the river. So Egwene has like some food. She has all the stuff in her saddlebags. Like she's able to kind of help Perrin, who got dumped in the river, lost his horse. Yeah, there, there, are, there are what? Three horses that survived Shadar Logoth? Yeah. Uh, Land's horse. Do, do you remember the name of Land's horse? No. I don't know if it's been named yet. His horse is named Mandarb. <laughs> yeah, I know that. that Mandarb. Sounds familiar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a name for a horse, I guess. And Moraine's horse, Aldib. Yeah. Which is a much, that's a much better name for it's a horse. a good name. But so, just a side appreciation Bella moment. So Bella gets Egwene across the river, and they decide... New ship, Bella and living. <laughs> Just new ship, Bella. (laughs) Bella and omnipotence. (laughs) And so they're talking about what to do next. And Egwene kind of lets Perrin be the leader, sort of. Which is weird for her. Because the interactions we've seen with Egwene so far have been like, Egwene, I'm not going to take shit from no one, maybe except Moraine. I'm not going to let anyone lead me unless it's Moraine or Nynaeve. But she lets Perrin take the lead in kind of deciding where they're going to go. And they decide to go to Camelin. Because they they kind of figure that, like, by the time they figure out where Whitebridge is and get to Whitebridge, everybody else will have moved on. Yeah. So they're just going to go straight to Camelin. So she lets him be the leader, sort of. I think that's where that decision, that's where she stops letting him be the leader. Because when they're talking about how to get there, she's like very insistent that they take turns riding Bella. And Perrin's like, I'm too big to ride Bella because I got thick thighs. (laughs) Like, I'm too big to ride Bella. But she's very insistent. And he just goes like, if you won't get into the saddle by yourself, I'll put you there. Yep. 
<laughs> I just got this, like, wide-eyed moment looking at the book like, oh, okay, that's where we're going now. Are you Perrin? Are you going to put her there yourself? Yup. But, I mean, like, he does not have a point. Like, he's too big for Bella. And Egwene kind of gives him the same, like, half-amused, like, oh, you are now, <laughs> aren't <laughs> yeah. you? And so I'm like, all right, I want to see how this goes. Yeah, their sections are, are kind of, like... Egwene trying to be Nynaeve or Moraine on men that just aren't taking it. Because she tries to do the same thing to Elias, and Elias is like, no, I'm just walking. Yeah. But Perrin just is like, all right, fine, we'll take turns, but you're going first. And then later when they do meet Elias, there's just like this very sassy moment. And that was a quote from this episode at the beginning where he's just very sassy with her. And she kind of gives him like a little bit of a smile and like they've, but is like still very stubborn. And so you just get this, like, different picture of two stubborn people who clearly have a fondness for each other, but it's a very different fondness versus stubbornness that her and Rand have. Yeah. Perrin is stubborn, but not stubborn to be obstinate, which is kind of how Rand is. He is, like, he's stubborn to be stubborn, not because he thinks he's right. Whereas Perrin is stubborn because he thinks he's right, and in the case of being too big to ride Bella, he is. But he also is like, you know what? It's not worth me, this is not like, I'm not gonna die on this hill. He also doesn't want to be in charge, which I think plays into it some. Yeah, he keeps, there's a lot, there's a running, like, internal monologue with him where he's like, she put me in charge? What? And like, how do I interact with this? Rand would know what to do. First of all, Rand would not know what to do. Absolutely Absolutely not. not. (laughs) Although, would Rand think Perrin would know what to do? Probably. And Matt thinks Matt knows knows what to do. Matt thinks Matt knows best, at least right now. But, you know, so they're traveling with Elias, and Egwene starts dancing with this boy, Aram. Perrin does not like it. No. He thinks and, that Aram is sketchy. Yes. Then he's jealous. A little bit. He is because he's jealous. He, I mean, he also points out somebody who they used to, well, they're not used to know, who they know in the Two Rivers, Will Alcine, who, like, flirts with all the girls, gets gets stuff from the girls, and is, like, just putting but, them aside. But he makes the point of saying, like, you were too smart for that guy. Yeah. Why aren't you too smart for this guy? Yeah. And then she's just like, oh, you're cute. I'm going to go dance. <laughs> and then he, of course, gets all blushy with all the girls dancing. Yeah, the Tinker Girls are, are like, ooh, fresh meat. Yeah. They... Let's go harass him with belly dancing because they're, they're, they're functional. I mean, I think they're literally belly dancing. I, I think that's the that's, dance. I think that's the dance it's, that was it's being It's pretty described. heavily implied because there's like a, a lot of like gyration involved. Yep. And, uh... and belly dancers are ruthless. Will doesn't like belly dancers. No, they don't leave me alone. I don't. I, I just want to be left alone. You don't need to like shake your hips in front of my face. But the hips don't lie. I don't care. I don't. <laughs> I, uh, truth lie irrelevant. I just don't want it. Every time we take him to fair, we have to take him away from the belly dancers. I don't. They seek you out. They seek me out. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And like, it's like one of those things where it's like you're, you're like like you're not supposed to be visibly uncomfortable around belly dancers. This is a thing I've learned. This is parent. This is the thing parent learned yeah. too. <laughs> you're not you're not supposed to be visibly uncomfortable around belly dancers because then they're like, hey, you're you're uncomfortable. Let's 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 annoy you and and harass you 
but then like they they just know somehow. Yeah, they just know, and that's the thing with that Perrin learns with these girls dancing is because he starts to like blush, and then more girls get up and start dancing, and now they're like locking eyes with him. And they're like teaching Egwene. Yeah, <laughs> that's when Perrin just absolutely loses his shit. I think he just leaves at that point, doesn't he? No, he left before. It's the next time that they uh, start because okay. they do several nights of dancing. Yes, because they're traveling with him for a while. Yeah, they love them some Perrin. Fresh meat. And so they start teaching Egwene, and Perrin's like, I've been told, like, I have to just watch them. I can't keep looking away. So now he's like, now I've got to lo- watch Egwene learn this dance. Then he notices Aram staring at her and being like, ooh, Egwene is belly dancing, and he does not like that. <laughs> Doesn't like. Wants to punch him. I mean, Aram is being pretty insistent at this point. He is. He is throwing all the moves. Everything he possibly has, including his grandmother's cooking. (laughs) His grandmother's cooking, he gives her jewelry, he dances with her, and then tries to convince her to stay with the Tinkers. Yep, which doesn't work at all. No, she's like, like, I'm going to go to Vagina Island now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because she's got to learn how to be an Aes Sedai. Yep. Like, she's got to learn how to use the one power, which was another, like, she used the one power the one night to start a fire. Yeah, like the and first night. The and first she night. couldn't manage it after that. And she couldn't manage it after that. And Perrin is like, I don't want you using the one power. And she's like, you're not going to stop me. And so, and that's another moment of him being like, all right, I'm going to lose this fight. Yeah. I'm not going to bother being obstinate and pissing her off because we've got to travel together. See, he's stubborn, but he's also smarter than Rand. Yeah, I would say he's definitely smarter than Rand right now. So he's just like, all right, can you not try it again tonight? Because clearly it's not working and I don't want you to hurt yourself. Yeah. And so she's like, okay, that makes sense. They're they're both right. They're both right. She does, because she does have to learn how to use this power or else she's going to die. Right. But the problem is that she has to learn how to use it and not fumble around with using it. And that's, I think, when he makes that point, he does, like, I think she gets that a little bit. And I think it, because like you can very very clearly imagine with all the stories of men who can channel just like turning into mountains and shit you can imagine Egwene doing something wrong volcanoes volcanoes you can very clearly imagine Egwene doing something wrong and trying to light a fire yeah part of Perrin is part of Perrin's reluctance is he's just uncomfortable with the one power and two I think he he knows what can go wrong Mm -hmm. or at least he knows the stories of what can go wrong right Uh, and I mean there are very scary stories like turning into a volcano or that woman who lived with Moraine's first story time when she like waved her staff around was like backwoods fuckers sit down for a story and she tells them about that woman who like set herself on fire to kill a bunch of Trollocs remotely well, I mean, so that's sort of they were like happened. invading a city but she wasn't she, like, she wasn't there yeah she was was she I yeah she, she was... felt her husband die because uh, apparently so... the one power is like the force that allows you to sense people's deaths remotely apparently but yes, there's just a lot of, like, character development between Egwene and Perrin, which is nice to see. Yeah. And, like, they're not constantly fighting, which no. just makes it kind of a respite for everyone traveling together. Because, like, when everyone was together, Rand and, Rand and Egwene were fighting. <laughs> Rand and Egwene were fighting. Moraine and all of the boys were fighting. Nynaeve and Moraine were fighting. Lan was just kind of grumpy. Yeah. And didn't like Tom. No. 
And so there's just like this, it's kind of like a calm probably before the storm because the shit's going down. They, they leave in kind of a rush. They do leave in kind of a rush because Perrin has this creepy dream. More Balsamon dreams. More Balsamon dreams where Balsamon basically sets one of the wolves on fire and is like, your wolves can't protect you. Which, like, how is that a thing in the first place? Here is my thing with the wolves and Perrin and Elias. I don't trust Elias. Okay, you don't trust a lot of the, like, strange older men who come into this series. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't trust fair. their motives. <laughs> That's fair. I think Elias's motives are pretty clear, though. Elias just wants to be left alone. Except he then forces them to go... This is... I have, I have a whole thing. Like, one, he's got creepy yellow eyes, and Perrin's like, huh, these remind me of something, but I can't think of what right now, and then later he has, like, an oh shit, wolves moment. But Elias is being... Elias is a little bit creepy, and he makes this big deal about him being a loner. I think it it seems like a big act because like Tom at the beginning, Tom was all like, I'm only traveling with you because it's convenient, not because I have any sort of investment in what's happening. And he was just very, he was acting very aloof and like he didn't care. Yeah, we did learn more about that. Then it's like we get that other piece of information that no, I'm actually doing it to protect you. Elias is all like, I don't like traveling with people, but I'm going to make sure you two stick with me for some strange reason. Well, I think it's pretty pretty obvious why, because the wolves say that Perrin can also talk to wolves like Elias. So Elias is a loner. Elias is a loner from people. He's not a he's not a loner from wolves. He's he's pretty clear. Like I travel with Dapple and her pack. Those are like to him. They're people. He can talk to them and he can interact with them as he would people. I and just don't understand. I think he sees like a sort of kinship in Perrin. It's a little weird because he doesn't give a shit about Egwene. No, he doesn't. He, oh, he's he's in it for Perrin, and he's not in it for Egwene. In that sense, like, at least those motives are clear, but he doesn't explain why he has those motives, which is why I still don't necessarily, like... Yeah, he's a loner. He's not used to being around people. He has some sort of ulterior motive, and there's some sort of reason that he's trying to protect Perrin. Okay. Or is he trying to protect him, or is he trying to use him for something? I think... To me here, it's pretty clear that he's not trying to use him. He's trying to protect him. Because if Elias is with the wolves and dream wolves are trying to protect Perrin from the Dark One, I think Elias could also be doing that. Because the wolves are trying to be protective. You know, like they, they kind of, they warn Elias and Perrin that they need to leave. They're watching over Perrin's dreams. Because for a while, when when he meets Elias and the wolves, he doesn't have any more Balsamon dreams. No, he just has nightmares about the Tinkers being killed by Trollocs, which is right. just anxiety dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's just PTSD. Yeah, that's just PTSD. I don't know. I just, the and the whole, like, something is telling me to wait. And he's just being very cryptic. And Perrin doesn't trust him. So therefore, I don't trust him. Okay. It's effective. It's effective narration in that part a little bit. You take on some of what Perrin's feeling. Yeah. And I, you say that about Perrin. I think it's also very true of Rand. Like, Rand doesn't trust Tom for a while either. No. And I think that's part of why I didn't trust Tom. Right. You trusted Tom at the beginning because you knew, <laughs> you already knew Tom's motivations. <laughs> so you have, you have bias. I do have a little bit. Uh, but I, even... I also had bias, but I had the intended bias of the narration. Yeah. I no longer don't trust Tom. I, I don't trust that Tom is dead. We'll get to that. We'll get to that, though. Because that's a whole thing. I think that... There was some intentional leaving out of things. Well, the, the narration-wise, the point of view character Ram. Yeah, 
Yeah, so the wolves get set on fire in this dream, and Balsamon's like, you will be consumed by the eye of the world, which so I'm just gonna I should a... have been, I should have put a counter. I should have, like, I should have grabbed, grabbed another flag color to tag every time the eye of the world is mentioned. Yeah, here it's, like, what, three between, like, the, it gets mentioned in Rand's dream, it gets mentioned in Perrin's dream, and it's mentioned, like, once before this. I think if I, I probably should like if I had a Kindle version, you yeah. could literally go through and just count. True. Um, I'm, I'm gonna put a marker down here because some of the stuff said about the Eye of the World makes no sense, just at all. A marker down? Conceptually marking this topic. Ah, uh, but it makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand what the Eye of the World is. Is it something to do with the Wheel of Time? I don't know, which is why I haven't. Who knows? Which is why I haven't been flagging it. I have a very, sp I have like eight flag colors when I'm reading because I write in my books, and I have a specific flag color that is Wheel of Time specific world building. I'm surprised you haven't started flagging mentions of the Eye of the World just because it's literally the title of the book. Well, that's why I would. I was like that and the Great Horn. Anytime the Great Horn is mentioned, I'm kind of mm. like because I know yeah. that's the next title of the next book. No, the title of the next book is the Great Hunt. The Great Hunt. For the great horn, or whatever the horn of the horn of the leer. Sure, the great horn. <laughs> <laughs> yup. Eye of the world. The eye of the world will consume him. And then when he wakes up, the wolves are talking about. The wolves are like, "You gotta go." And the, the, they keep saying fire. And so my first instinct was like, "Oh my god, are the wolves actually on fire?" Is the same. One of them is named Burn, but no, I don't think the wolves are actually on fire. I don't think so either. Because there probably would have been. Well, they, they send more, like, feeling than words. Yeah. Because they're wolves. They don't, like, talk, talk. No. They just communicate in, like, feeling and the idea of images. Yeah. Which is a very interesting way to communicate. And I feel like if they were actually on fire, they'd probably be sending, like, ow. <laughs> like, this hurts. Yeah. It is hot. And then, so they get they get out of there real quick that is that is i guess the moment that elias was waiting for that the yeah he's just waiting for his friends to tell him he needs to go like if you had left earlier like what protection could the tinkers have been providing numbers trollocs wouldn't have stopped i mean a small band of them might have they don't know they don't necessarily know that they're tinkers and they got those big they got those big dogs that are much scarier than they actually are which is very amusing because the dogs are like bark bark we're big and angry and then they're like hey can we love you yeah i wasn't scared of those dogs at all no no not at all because they're wolves i mean it's like big dogs wolves hmm which one's threatening it's the wolves it's the wolves which how did perrin not know he can speak to wolves until now. Matt didn't know he could speak in the old tongue until just now. But like, so what is it about if Perrin was able to recognize something in Elias' eyes that is wolves? That means he's seen a wolf before. Yeah. There wolves are wolves. Exist. The wolves there are but you know, I don't know geo I don't know geography. Like there's not I wouldn't necessarily there's not wolves in every area. They mentioned they mentioned wolves being a problem for livestock in the two rivers though. Yeah. So that's what I, like, what is it about what happened when the Trollocs attacked that kind of set off these things emerging in these boys? That is a good question. It could also have been, like, puberty. They're still, they're at the, like, tail end of being teenagers. Mm -hmm. It could be a maturity thing. Because, like, Rand is starting to go crazy. Rand is starting Rand to go is getting reckless. Rand is getting a little bold with the concept of mortality. Rand's getting crazy. Matt is obsessed with treasure. Matt's also getting crazy. Matt's getting crazy, but he can speak in another language. 
And now Perrin can talk to wolves. And Perrin is not going crazy. No, wolves are good. Well, talking wolves to wolves. They help you have better dreams. They just want to hang out and hunt. Yeah, it's like they're like his emotional support animal, sort of. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far, but... Well, like, they're helping with his dreams. They're, yeah. They're, you know. He's got a wolf bro. Yeah. But he's not acting irrationally, which... No. Perrin is ever rational. Yeah, Perrin is the most rational person right now, and... Yeah, it's like per- Perrin's at, like, a 10 for rationality, and right now, I don't know who's lower between Rand and Matt, but they're pretty far down. It's Matt. Matt's way lower. Matt's way lower. Matt, Rand has, like, bursts of irrationality. Matt is just constantly irrational. Yeah. He's he's grumpy. He needs a good night's sleep. Let's talk about Matt, because I, I am not fully sure that he's Matt right now. No? Who do you think he is? Do you think he's Mordeth? <sighs> There was a pretty big personality shift after that after what happened. Yeah. And, you know, it could be PTSD. That it, that would be a perfectly logical explanation for why his he has a complete personality shift. Except he has that stupid fucking dagger. Yep, he stole the dagger. He stole the dagger. And Moraine basically made it clear that if you take something from Mordeth, he can inhabit your body. Yeah, but you also have to do several things, and he has to give it to you. You have to take it from him, not okay. just, like, take it from a pile. Yeah, but, like, just because that's what Moraine understands the rules to be doesn't mean that's what the rules of the magic are. Moraine has a much better understanding of the rules of the world than everybody else does. We also heard Moraine talk about those rules through Rand's point of view. And Rand is clearly crazy. But he's not like, he's not perceiving things that aren't there. He's just... I just don't know that... He's just a teenage boy. I don't know that Matt is fully himself right now. Uh, That's fair. He's clearly uh, not acting normal. He's not acting normal... I'm not entirely sure that he's Rand. Or no, that he's he's Matt. He's definitely not Rand. He's definitely not Rand. I'm just not sure that he's Matt right now. Yeah. Whether it is because he's Mordeth, or maybe when he took the dagger, part of him was left behind. Maybe. Or or it could be the dagger itself. It could be the dagger itself. Because he's being really, he's being specifically cagey about the dagger. He's being really greedy is what he's being. He's being, he's being greedy. It's... And like toxically greedy. Yeah. More more so than it's like, like it's, normal greed. It's like it's poisoning his mind. Yeah. Like it's like I think it may something is in the dagger. Okay. That might be corrupting him Maybe. in some way because he's spending a lot of time alone. Rand makes a point that he hasn't laughed or smiled or made any sort of joke. Which I true. Mean, Could we have like a Horcrux situation here? You think? That's yeah. I was I was like Harry Potter. What am I thinking of right now? Horcrux. Okay. Yeah, it's acting on Matt like the locket acted on Ron, where it's clearly affecting him personality-wise. Okay. And I mean, if you had spent enough time with a Horcrux and you didn't, and you didn't like get to escape it, it probably would corrupt you permanently. Maybe. Maybe why the Dursleys were such terrible people—they literally <laughs> lived with one for eleven years straight. That's true. <laughs> but, yeah, I just think that there's something with this dagger, because he makes this whole point. He asks Rand not to tell anyone about the dagger, and Rand's like, okay, sure, you're my Which, friend. I'm not going to tell you. I'm I, not going to tell anyone. But then he's like, no, you can't tell anyone. And he, like, they go back and forth, and Rand's like, yeah, I just I said, I won't tell anyone. And it was almost like a, like, I wouldn't have been surprised if Matt's like, takes the dagger out and, like, threatens him with it. It's like, you won't tell anyone. Like, dude, calm down. Yep. 
And he's obsessed with finding more treasure. Yeah, because he, he talks about there being treasure maybe in Tarvalin. And he, they run across that like weird metal ta- tower. Metal tower. Uh, and he's like, maybe there's treasure in there. And then it's like, it's maybe like, there's treasure in Camelin. Maybe there's treasure in Ilion. And he, he wants clearly, the horn. He wants the horn. And he picked up the dagger first in that room with mm-hmm. Mordeth. And then they literally had to drag him away. And he was trying to shove more yeah. jewels into his pocket. Maybe he just has Scrooge McDuck disease. I guess, but like, someone needs to get that dagger off of him. Yes. Dagger and is like, a bad time. He clearly also has to know that it's the dagger that Min saw in her creepy dream. Well, he her didn't aura thing. No, Rand, Rand told him. To. No, Rand told him all about it. Did he? Yeah, Rand, he's like, dagger with a ruby sounds cool, and so does like, the scales are a little creepy. Oh, yeah, but yeah. There's that whole exchange where he's like, the dagger sounds cool, but the scales are a little creepy. Maybe that's why he took it. That's probably why he took it, but now it's completely affecting his personality and it's not just ptsd i don't think he tries to pass it off as that but i don't i think there's something yep it can be i mean stuff can be two things stuff can be two things and yeah there's something going on with matt rand isn't happy about it tries to confront him several times doesn't doesn't work doesn't really work and then rand has a crazy moment where he decides to like titanic But, like, at the top of the mast. He, like, climbs up there. Like, he climbs up there because he wants to get a better view, which is understandable. Yeah, but But then he goes too high up and is just, like, hanging there. Yeah. And Tom climbs partway up and is like, can you come down now, please? (laughs) Everybody else is, like, the ship has stopped all normal functions because everybody's just, like, staring at this child (laughs) who they think might fall to his death. And Tom is like, please come down. And Rand's like, okay. Like, at yeah. least at least Matt's, uh, not Matt's, at, at least Rand's, like, moments of irrationality are moments. He has moments where he makes bad decisions. But I think those are because they're internally driven, whereas I think Matt's irrationality right now is externally driven. Yeah. I, there, I think there's, there is some internal circumstances for why he might not be smiling or laughing as much, you know, because he's being hunted by Trollocs and... He's being hunted by really creepy merdral and like he's had enough ptsd ensuing things happen to him where it might make someone smile a little bit less yeah but i think most of that is externally driven whereas rand Rand. there's something going on in his head yeah i mean but for all we know right now like rand is just being like rand's just being a dumb 17 year old boy who thinks he's invincible i don't think he realizes he's doing it until when until someone points out like you're being really reckless right now and he's kind of like he didn't realize here he definitely realized with the white cloaks in Berlon, where he was like what the fuck am i doing like why, why am i antagonizing these angry people with swords and then this moment escalates it a little bit because he's like he's being reckless and he's he just, just doesn't have any feedback with the white cloaks he had immediate feedback here it like unless he fell he wasn't ever gonna know that he was being reckless because there's nothing to tell him except for tom coming up so yeah the only reason he thought he was being reckless with the white cloaks is because the white cloaks reacted he doesn't realize he's being reckless until someone points it out to him yeah but that reads as very teenage boy to me i was one once (laughs) you would know Uh, yeah just like you you don't think you just don't think but this is different than throwing acorns around with your friends and getting hit in the eye with one that that is a real thing that happened to me and it is different but it's not that different I just don't live in medieval times. Like, I don't I don't have access to a ship's mast to climb up and risk my life on. That's true. I just, I don't know. It seems like whatever is going on with his recklessness is, like, pushing him to grievously harm him. I guess. A little bit. There's so, I don't know. He just feels 
way more reckless than yeah. it needs to be. I, I, both of them, though, give us an opportunity to see Tom, the level-headed adult. Yeah. He didn't have to be the level-headed adult before because there were Moraine. And no, he could Leia just be like the random role. fucker who's like only here to right, so and, that he doesn't get killed. And Tom, like when when Tom realizes that, like, oh shit, I have to take care of these two idiots. He like kind of steps up in a big way. Yeah. Because he's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. One, he gets, at the end of the last section we talked about this, he gets mad because they spend money to take passage instead of Tom just being like, I'm a bard. I'm a glee man. I'll yeah. entertain you. And then this time, in this section, he's like, okay, don't say anything. You guys are my apprentices. I'm going to teach you how to do glee man things and we're going to be fine. Nobody's going to think anything of us. Yeah. Because who thinks of glee men and their apprentices? They're just like, they're just entertainment. Right. And he does, I mean, he actually teaches them and seems to be, do a pretty good job. I mean, Matt shouldn't ever play the flute. No, we, we learned Matt shouldn't play the flute and Rand shouldn't juggle, but Tom picks up on that really quickly. And, and does then a switches. Good, right. And he does a good job at, like, Matt's a pretty good juggler and pretty good at, like, just, like, sleight of hand tricks. Yeah. Which, of course he is. He stole a dagger. <laughs> um, and Rand's pretty good at the flute because... He was a sheep herder? I mean, that kind of makes sense. He's yeah. just, like, just, like, hanging out, playing the flute. It would draw the sheep's attention, so you don't yeah. have to be like, hey, sheep! Yeah. Come over here. I don't know why I made like a saxophone gesture. Oh, just like either. just like Rand in the sunset with a bunch of sheep playing the saxophone. <laughs> Duke Silver. Duke Silver. <laughs> and then and then when we're in White Ridge, like right before Tom faces down a fade, Tom like tells them actually why he came with them, which is kind of a nice moment. He's like, okay. I need to level with you guys. This is why I'm coming with you. And I think it's kind of prompted by him following them off the spray instead of just traveling on to Alien. Yeah. Because um, where... he has, like, they have this moment. I think it is the fight before he has that yeah. come to Jesus. Like, yeah, the come to Jesus moment. They're very much like, well, no, we need to go to Tarvalin. And Tom is very much like, no, let's just get back on the boat. I'll continue to teach you how to be gleeman. We'll live fine lives. We'll live fine lives. And they're both like very much, they're yelling at him about it. And even yeah. Matt does, which seems uncharacteristic. But at this point, Matt wants treasure and nothing else. And he thinks yeah. there's a bunch of it in Tarvalin. And so... Which there probably is a bunch of it in Tarvalin. There probably is a bunch of it in Tarvalin, but, like, I don't want to fight nice today for treasure. He thinks that's going to be a good idea, and he's wrong. And so Tom finally tells them that he wants to protect them because he couldn't for his own nephew. Right. So, yeah, he tells the story, like, a short story about his nephew, Owen, O-W-Y-N, because why spell anything a normal way in fantasy? Who... He doesn't say it explicitly, but it's pretty heavily implied Owen could channel. Yeah, I think that's what I thought, too. And so... The Aes Sedai did what they do to men who can channel, which isn't kill them, because he's like, Owen was never the same after the Aes Sedai got to him. Mm -hmm. And he wants to stop that from happening to Rand and Matt. Yeah. Not that he thinks either of them can channel, just that... He he knows Moraine thinks that they can, or else Moraine he, wouldn't he have thinks, taken... He just thinks that Aes Sedai are going to do something bad to whoever they get. I think that he might think... Like, I think he knows that his nephew probably could channel, and that he's, he's, he's a smart guy. Yeah. As much as I didn't trust him at the beginning, and I still don't... To be fair, you didn't trust him at the beginning because he was trying to hide things. He was trying to hide what he knows about Aes Sedai from an Aes Sedai. Yeah, and so I think, you know, warranted a little bit. He was being... Yeah. I thought he was sketchy, and he was hiding something because, because he, he was. was hiding something. It just turned out that the thing that he was hiding was pretty benign. Or not 
not benign, but it had correct motivation. Like right. I, I would under I understand why he hid that, right. and I understand why he hates Ice. He has a very personal motivation for hating the Ice guy. Yeah. Well, like he doesn't hate because he clearly, he clearly doesn't hate Moraine. He just doesn't think she has the boy's best interests in mind. I don't really think she does either. Uh, Moraine has Moraine's interests. I mean, Moraine straight up tells them that she'll kill them if she thinks that the Dark One will get them. Right, which like is very honest. She's clear. Like it's a very hero answer. And it's like one of the jokes about like why women tend to like the bad boys. It's uh-huh. like because the hero will sacrifice you to save the world, but the bad boy will sacrifice the world to save you. Moraine's very okay. clearly in the first camp. Yeah. Not saying that the Dark One would... I don't think the Dark One would do the opposite either. He's not one of those like morally gray characters. No, he's just straight up bad. No. To be fair, we don't know anything about the Dark One's motivations other than that he's the Dark One. But I don't think there's anything morally gray about that. No. Uh, his He's literally the Dark One, father of lies. They, they call him, the wolves call him Heartfang. Yeah, that's not Like, a... that's not a name you give to somebody who was morally gray. No. <laughs> Heartfang. Heartfang. Sightblinder, has that come up yet? I think so. Yeah. Um, no. No, thank you. No. Although Sightblinder is kind of redundant. I mean, like, like just, just blinder. Like, yeah, he blinds people. There's, sight is implied. I guess. <laughs> he does kind of, you said Sightblinder. The Balsamon did fireblind the wolves in the dream. What? Like, I mean, he, f- it's, he just he incinerated said, them. But it started, like, oh, fire okay, came out yeah. of the wolves' eyes. Well, his eyes, his own eyes are fire. Yeah. He's got a thing for fiery eyes. Fiery eyes. Oh, that reminded me of the creepiest thing about Rand's dream. What? He has the same face as Balsamon. Rand? Yeah. Okay. That was an interesting thing, yeah. Like, he's going through this maze, he gets his finger pricked. Yeah. And then he looks into a mirror and he sees his own face, and then he looks again, it's Balsamon's face, and he, yeah. like, sees his face turn into Balsamon's face and then wakes up. Yeah. Which, like, I mean, at the, that's a really creepy it, way to wake up. Yeah. We do get a little, I mean, clearly Balsamon can control their dreams to some non-zero extent, since it seems like the wolves were shielding Perrin's dreams from Balsamon, and then Balsamon broke in and incinerated the wolves. So it seems like Balsamon can control what the boys see in their dreams. Yeah. So that that's probably just something Balsamon is like, haha, you're evil. Yeah. You're, you're already evil. You should just join me. Very much like the weird scene in Harry Potter when Harry looks at his own face and it turns into Voldemort's face. Yeah. Like How much stuff did Harry Potter lift from the Wheel of Time? The answer is... Uh, uh, probably nothing directly it's just the wheel of time is probably no more than any other fantasy series lifts from any any other old fantasy series i mean this so far is lord of the rings yeah they're all going on a quest yeah it gets different and there's hints of it getting different yeah but it's i mean orcs trollocs yeah the the ring raids merdral very similar yep speaking of merdral tom like suicides on one i don't think tom is dead his death or non-death happens off screen nobody no crime. <laughs> what I'm pretty interested by is the flash of blue. There's like a mention of a flash of blue when Tom lunges at the Merdral. Yeah. I am interested in that and I, I, I'm I, not saying that to lead you on. I legitimately don't remember what that is. Hmm. I'll have to check. I should have checked before the episode but that has a very specific meaning and because I, I, the last time we saw it was Land's fight with the Merdral. Was there? Yeah there were blue flashes around that. Well that probably is a Merdral being killed then. No no it was during the fight because we see land just chop its head off 
And there's no blue flash there. It's just like, well, you don't have a head anymore. Mm. Well, I don't know what, I don't know what that was. Yeah, I don't know. I missed the blue flash because I was like, wait, is Tom dead? Yeah, I mean, Tom, and it's a very heroic thing Tom does. Yeah. Tom faces down this thing that, like, we're really the only person we've ever seen kind of able to resist a murder all at this point has been Lan, who's like uber warrior. Yeah. And Tom is like running, screaming at it. <laughs> knives, like he does, like he does the knife trick again. Yeah. Pulls out some knives, starts. Chucking him at the murder wall, it, it tells Rand and Matt to run and go to the Queen's Blessing. Yeah. Well, that's, and before that, he had changed out of his Gleeman's cloak. Yep. So he, I think that has some sort of symbolism. And, and that, like, maybe he knew he had to do that. I, part of, like, I, he shed part of himself. I mean, he didn't shed it. But he he takes off his Gleeman's cloak, gets another cloak, wraps all of his yeah. stuff up in the Gleeman cloak. And then when and he's then, running, he throws it all to Rand. Yeah, he gives Rand all his... And he's like, protect this with your life because it's super important. <laughs> he's which, like, protect my musical instruments like they're your life. <laughs> which, there's something about these... In, does he have some sort of flute or horn? Or he has a flute. No, Does he, he has he have... a flute and a harp. And a lute, maybe? No, just a flute and a harp. Because the show is, he in the show, he's not going to have a harp. In the show, he's going to have a guitar. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, the actor who they cast to play Tom, one, is younger than Tom actually is. And two, can play the guitar. How old is Tom? Um, Tom is, Tom is about the same age as Moraine. Just Moraine is an Aes Sedai. I don't know how old Moraine is. Uh, I, I want to say he's like in his like late... 50s. That's how old I pictured Tom. Yeah. I mean, he's he's like, he's older, just not old. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's probably old for that time period. I don't know. Um, it's like life expectancy and... Yeah, but they're they're very advanced in some ways. That's true. Like, medicine is much more advanced in the world at this point than you would expect from an analogous place. And, like, technology is not quite as far, right? But but the, the flip side of that is that we also, like, literacy is so much higher. Like, it's just kind of expected that people can read. Yeah, which is interesting, especially like, for a backwoods. Like, Tam home. has multiple books. Books, sir! It is mentioned that Tam has, like, one of the best collection of books in the Two Rivers. Again, interesting for a farmer. Um, well, clearly, he, I mean, he traveled, right? He came with a with an outlander wife. Yeah. And um, medicine is more advanced. Nynaeve's understanding of, like, what makes people sick and how to heal wounds is better than the time would have suggested. That's true. But there's also a world of magic. Right. Which you would think would actually inhibit technology. But the Aes Sedai are so reclusive. Yeah. That, like, maybe it wouldn't. Right. I, I really wish that um, this... Just, just for our episode purposes, that, that Tom's Whitebridge attack of a fade is the end. Because that would make a much better cliffhanger than, like, Perrin, Elias, and Egwene leave the Tinkers because wolves say they need to. Yeah, that was not a good cliffhanger. No. But. I mean, there's a lot of character things that I'm very interested to, to explore in the next bit with that. Yeah. With, like, just the, the trio there is really interesting. Elias is, like, a big mystery. We don't, we haven't spent much time in Perrin's head, and Egwene has a lot going on. Yeah, and I'm excited to see how Egwene acts now. Because I think being away from Moraine and Nynaeve for a while is going to really help her find herself as a person. Yeah. Because she's not going to be inclined to let Perrin dictate her personality. No. Which... And Perrin wouldn't... I mean, the people she's with also wouldn't be interested. We Again, we don't know very much about Elias, but Elias is just like, do whatever the hell you want. Right. So I think she's going to really try to... I think, I'm think i hoping she really comes into her own personality. Yeah. And I think 
Perrin will, like, foster her to do that. Because he's also just a very grounding presence. Yeah. So she she won't have to feel like she's fighting against something yeah. as often. Because Perrin knows when to let a fight go. Yes. And so I think... I'm hoping that she can kind of come into her own as, like, come into her own personality and not let it be dictated by these two strong women. Yeah. So that way when she goes to figure out how to control the one power, maybe she doesn't have to do it either way. Like, maybe she doesn't have to do it like Nynaeve does it, and she doesn't have to do it like Moraine does it. Yeah. Well, that's assuming Nynaeve can teach her at all. I think Nynaeve is going to do a lot of learning from Moraine. Yeah. Because the fact that Nynaeve hasn't exploded... <laughs> True. ...is a miracle, and... Moraine tells her as much. Yep. But I don't think, like, I think Nynaeve is going to be very resistant to the Aes Sedai and... Yeah. Nynaeve's resistant to everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Recurring segments. I think it's time. Yeah. Weird prophetic auras from Min. We have some updates here. Yep. So Perrin figured out what the wolves mean. Yep. He can talk to them. And just... Yep. Matt, we confirmed that he has the dagger. Yup. We don't know exactly what the dagger means yet. Just there is one. There is one. And that's all that really Min had said is that she sees a red dagger. So check. Yup. He needs to get rid of that thing. Yes. Yes, he does. This is part of why I kept saying poor, poor Matrim. Poor, poor Matrim. We get a, we get a glimpse of his personality daggerless. And he's just like, he's just like sassy and playful. Yeah. And here he's just like, give me all of the money. And also don't even look. Don't, don't look. Just give. Uh, and then ship updates. We we have we have a new ship. We ha- we have a new ship. Okay. What is the new ship? I said Paranagwain. Paranagwain. Okay. Is this is this a ship that excludes Rand and Egwene? I think so. Cause okay. Rand and Egwene was given to me as a ship. Yeah. Would and you be upset to see Rand end up with Egwene now? Depends on how much more happens with her and Perrin. Okay. I think. They complement each other more nicely sure. than Rand and Egwene do. Rand, again, because Rand is being reckless and fighting her when he needs to stop fighting her. And then even when he realizes he needs to stop fighting her, he won't apologize. And Egwene's doing the same. Like, Egwene eggs him on. Like, eggs him on How much it. of that is driven by mutual attraction, though? For these teenagers, right? Like, teenagers are dumb. They do dumb things when they're interested in other people. It's just very much, like, hot and cold, and I don't think it would last. Like, yeah, it's gonna, like, it's one of those, if they got together, it would be a happily for now, not a happily ever after. Okay. Whereas, like, Perrin and Egwene, I could see sticking together more. Okay. You know, until inevitably someone dies, because... It's a 14 book long series. People have got to die. Although there are like nearly 3,000 characters, so maybe just very few people do. And someone who dies doesn't have to be either of them. It could just be something that causes like true causes a separation. But like they're not gonna they're not gonna implode on themselves. But Uh, Rand and Egwene would implode on themselves. Also, there I just have to say that there was a criminal lack of Lan and Moraine in this section. Okay, I feel like that's probably a good thing. We we didn't. We don't need, like, every tenth of the book to contain some Moraine story time. That's fair. Like, Moraine tells a lot of stories because these are uneducated backwoods people uh, who know how to read. And so she's just, she just has to tell a lot of stories. I just really like their friendship. Yeah. I mean, they're great. I love both of them. (laughs) And I just wanted to see a little bit more. But Mm. I didn't get to. Yep. And then, favorite moments. What is your favorite moment? I've got two. One is at the very beginning when we kind of pick up with Perrin after he washes the store. 
he takes stock of everything pretty quickly and in such a practical way. He's like, okay, I have an axe, but that's I, I'm not going to be able to fight a Trolloc with that because I'm bad at it. Uh, I'm not going to be able to hunt anything with it. I might be able to get some wood, but I'm going to get food because I have a, I have a sling and I have snares. Why Why is every, every two rivers person, like every single one of them down to the person is like, I've got a sling and I've got snares and I'll eat a rabbit. It's fine. I'll just catch and eat a rabbit. Wherever I am, I'll just be ready for it. Anyway, my second favorite moment, not to say it's any less enjoyable than the first is Tom just like bum rushing a fade. He's just like, I'm gonna do it. Ah! <laughs> your, your eyes got a little wild there. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite moment, I think, is the quote from this episode. Yep. Perrin just being sassy. Mm-hmm. And then also Perrin being a blushy mess while the belly dancers dance at him. Yeah. It just so funny. He can't handle it. Can't handle it. He can't handle it. <laughs> he can't hang. And he just keeps going. Rand would know what to do around girls. Rand absolutely fucking would not. No. <laughs> Have you sat and watched him with the Gwen? You've seen him. You're having better luck with the with the Gwen than he'd ever did. <laughs> yup. Yup. All right. This was episode five, chapters twenty-two to twenty-seven. Next episode, two weeks, chapters twenty-eight to thirty-one. Who knows what's gonna happen? We left at a weird spot. Bye. Bye.